listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. To hear the full show each day, tune in to AM550 and FM102.9 WDUN or log in to accesswdun.com and click the Listen Live button from 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. We are talking to Steve Moore. And Steve Moore, I'm trying to figure out, we're having the biggest spending spree we have seen, I'm talking by consumers, in a long time. And Black Friday and all the other things that are happening, the online is in billions, 5% increases is what the the first numbers are. What's going on here? Well, uh, do you ever see the movie Wayne's World? Yes, Remember that famous uh, saying, you know, party on Wayne? Yes. <laughs> this is what our country is doing. You know, even though we have massive debts, you know, massive trillion dollar credit card debts, even though our federal government is borrowing $2 trillion a year, we're spending and spending way beyond our means. And, uh, you know, it's partying on and it's, it's like, you know, going on a drinking binge and then not being able to get out of bed the next morning. I worry that this is going to crash. Now, I hope I'm wrong. But you can't keep doing this, uh, Martha. You can't keep spending more than you bring in. <laughs> you know, I, I had a number of my nieces and nephews that um, are in their 30s uh, and early 40s at Thanksgiving. And then there was this video they played on Fox and Friends yesterday morning of a woman kind of in that same age range that was saying yeah. basically the thing I was hearing from my nieces and nephews. You know, we played by the rules. We went to college. We got good jobs. We yeah. are... We bought houses, we did all that stuff, and now everything's so expensive that we yeah. can barely make it. I mean, it's it's and it's frustrating for them, and I understand, I hear that from a lot of 20s and 30s that I mentor, yeah. that they feel like they've been sold yeah. a bill of goods. Yeah, so here's what worries me about this is, um, you know, so people are racking up debt at record levels and and, you know debt isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean if you buy a house for example you know you're buying an asset you're going to add but when you're buying you know borrowing just to you know uh buy ice cream and groceries and stuff that's probably not a very smart idea and what worries me though and i wonder what you think about this martha is you know remember what biden did with the student loans he basically said we're going to forgive a trillion dollars of student loans now by the way they weren't thank god the courts and the of congress would not allow him to do that but he did forgive i think unconstitutionally 150 billion dollars of student loans i think that a lot of americans believe the government's going to bail out their credit cards and their mortgages right right you know, and I remember the days when you used to be able to deduct your interest from your taxes. You remember that? When you can yep, your yep, interest yep. On, on your credit cards. Mm-hmm. And yep. and I, if, when they changed that law, I think it made people think more about using credit cards. And look, I think credit cards are great. I use credit cards. It's a safe yep. way to do things, yep, but I yep. pay them off every month. Um, yep. And I do think there's also this imbalance, Steve, of you know, boomers like me and you that are almost to retirement that yep. are 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 in a different financial place, yep. that percentage yep. is much higher than it ever was. And that's, that's inflating things, too, don't you think? Uh, it does. And by the way, uh, I just want to correct you on one thing, Martha. Neither you nor I are ever going to retire. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to work into our 80s. Uh, well, and so, retirement uh, is a whole different thing, too. I was watching a commercial this morning, and it said retiring to the beach. I would never. I may change the way I work, 
But right. I, I and I may travel more and I may take more time yeah. off, but I don't see me ever being that person that says yeah. I got nothing to do. Yeah, me too. And you know, I I do say you know to I tell my guys, my employees, and, and the men and women who work with me, you know, I, I don't have the same energy level I did when I was in my thirties and forties. So you know, I used to work fifty or sixty hours a week. Now you know, I'm thirty to forty, and I get pooped. You know, but I <laughs> but I still you know love working. You know, I love doing what I now. You and I are lucky, I think, Martha, because we love what we do. Right? That's right. A, that's, that's a real right. blessing. But uh, but my point is that. Um, you got to look, I'm not a financial advisor. Okay. I want to make that point loud and clear, but I, I think people are making a big mistake in racking up this credit card debt because that's a, that's a road to the poor house. I mean, though, you, these credit card companies and I, look, I'm pro credit cards. I think credit cards, you know, you can tap and you can swipe and da da da. But if you don't pay your credit card debt, you're going to go even further into debt, you know, and that's what makes me uh, very nervous. So, you know, we've got, President Biden, who is sort of traveling around doing things, and uh, we've got Donald Trump out there that is is basically mm-hmm. running a parallel campaign. I mean, he's not yeah. campaigning with the other people, but he is running no. a campaign. So yeah. I think it's probably 95 percent that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. Um, you know, I think there is a path for someone if they win some early states mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have a showdown like like Biden yeah. had four years ago yeah. and yeah. Yeah. and that South Carolina changes anything. I think there's still a path for that. But yeah, if agree. it is, you know, Trump Biden and I know you're very supportive of Donald Trump, but I think you like the other people, too. I mean, you you're fine yeah, with the other candidates. Yeah. What do you think next year's going to look like economically? <laughs> I only laugh because I get asked that question every day, and I, I know. Well, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to predict. I mean, everybody was wrong about 2023, right? I remember at the beginning of this. Not me, by the way. I wasn't one of these people. Oh, we're going to have a recession. We're going to remember everybody said it's going to be a recession. We didn't. Yes, have a recession. we didn't. In fact, yeah. If anything, the economy improved, and so I, I have to say, I, you know, I've been in this business 35 years. I'm a little mystified by what's going on. I mean, it feels like we're running on fumes right now, but. You know, you never can underestimate the resiliency of this U.S. economy, the greatness of our entrepreneurs and inventors and the innovation that goes on. I mean, we are the, the, we are the hub of the world economy. No one else has the innovation that we do. We're moving into an exciting new age of bioengineering and, you know, robotics and artificial intelligence. So there's a lot of cool things going on in the, in the country. I just want to see the government kind of get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I mean, great things look, can happen. Here's the $64,000 question, which I guess now would be $64 billion question <laughs> with the way things right. have gone. Um, you know, we have people that I talk to every day that are talking about the hard time they're having, whether it's groceries or uh, gas or whatever it is, interest rates, they can't buy a house, whatever it is. And then you have the Biden administration saying, don't believe what you're dealing with every week. It's really great out there. And you should be feeling better about this. Are people going to balk at that? Are people going to actually vote their pocketbooks this time? Well, and- no, normally they do. Normally yeah. they do. Yeah. And, then, you know, it, it, it is, it's almost always the overriding issue. But I think in this instance, it won't just be the economy. It will be. 
you know, what's going on in in the world. And do you think America is a stronger place uh, than it was under Trump? I, I, I certainly don't think so after what happened in Afghanistan, the, all the money we funneled to Iran, all the you know mistakes we've made with respect to Russia. So I think, you know, that the, uh, the national security issues will be critical. People are unbelievably angry about what's happening at the border. Uh, you know, we had it pretty secure, not fully secure, but pretty secure by the time Trump left right. office. And now it's now it's just a joke. So obviously these issues are going to be, you know, front and center. I, I'll say it again. I, I don't imagine. Can you imagine Joe Biden being president for four more years? No, I mean, really. no, no. And it's it. What's crazy, too, is that. You know, you and I have talked about the fact that the biggest concern I had about former President Trump is he really never talks about spending. He really has yeah, that's, no, spending yeah, in right. budgets. He doesn't really talk about that. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Thank you for agreeing with me about that, because I, yeah, no, I, mean, I get you know, people. We, we did put together a pretty a really good budget his first year in office. The Democrats shot it down and then Trump just, you know kind of did, gave up did on a it. different so, thing so what yeah. do you think if it, you know the biggest concern i hear from people that are concerned about president trump and i'm talking republicans that are concerned about him is uh-huh. that you know will he go in there and just settle scores or will he actually <laughs> yeah. go in there and govern well that's a great question uh and that's you know I, when i talk to him you know i tell him look put put all that settling the scores beside you do what you did when you were president, you know, cut taxes, reduce regulation, secure the border, make America strong militarily. Uh, and, you know, what Trump gave us was four years of peace and prosperity. That's yep. a pretty good agenda. And uh, so I love yeah. but I, what I love about you, Steve, is that you will tell the truth that these are real concerns, because what happens too much out there in the sphere is that the very strong Trump supporters just want to tell you everything you every question you have about him is wrong and mm-hmm. i think if we don't sit there and have these conversations and i'm thankful that you were in the room sometimes with him where you have said these things and i know he gets mad at you sometimes but he, <laughs> he needs <laughs> he needs people yeah. around him that are going to ask him the hard questions well you know i'll say one more thing and then you know i know we're running out of time here but i was just writing a column about how i mean one thing about trump is you know what's his most famous line you're fired, right? Yes. <laughs> From The Apprentice. And fu- Trump fired people. Yes. You know, I mean, he, he went through cabinet people. He went through, you know, assistants in the White House. I mean, one day John was around. Next day he got fired by Trump. How many people have Joe Biden fired? Nobody that I know of. I mean, people have left. <laughs> Jim, people, so- Jim yeah, Saki left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only people he fired were the Trump people who were, you know, holdovers who he instantly sent, you know, and that's his, you know, his prerogative as president. But here, my point is, I mean, let's face it, this has been a completely incompetent administration, whether it was dealing with the supply chain problems, dealing with COVID, you know, dealing with the border, dealing with Afghanistan. I mean, somebody told me something he's done right. And yet nobody is ever held accountable. And I kind of like that about Trump. You don't do your job. I'm, he's going to fire you. He's going to bring well, in people. Well, I tell people, you, so we need to go one step, or it's about 50 steps further, and start shaking up these departments. Because the yes. real problem is the embedded bureaucracy in these yes. departments. That is the real yes. problem. Yep, it's the deep state. It's real. And I've always said it's amazing that Trump was able to do what he did, given that 90% of the people in the government were trying to undermine what he was trying to do. No, you're right. And it was a good four years. I cannot deny that. Even though yeah. I'm <laughs> looking at other candidates, I cannot I deny. You but you know what? You know. There's going to be a big debate this week 
uh, I want everybody to tune into this. Sean Hannity is going to have on Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, against Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Uh, on and Thursday that's night. Gonna be, that's going to be a big deal. I it's think so, too. It's the red state versus blue state model. And, and uh, you know, I've been talking a little bit with the governor uh, there, and he, he's got all the facts on his side. I mean, yes. Florida is blowing away California right yeah, now. Yeah, I love they're doing that. And I know Laura Ingram has asked for Nikki Haley and uh, Ron DeSantis to come on her program together. But the RNC is not letting these one-on-one uh, debates happen. But I think they'd be great. I think, I think they great. should. Yep. All right, Steve Moore. You can go to com, uh, Unleash Prosperity, and you can get the newsletter every day. Thank you, Martha. Thank Have a you. great week. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It seems to be that season of the year that uh, we have these very old people pass away. Um, of course, Rosalind Carter um, passed away, and her funeral was this week. Um, the former president just looked terrible. I mean, I understand why he wanted to be there, um, but it was it was a very sad day. Lisa Wexler is here with me right now. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm good. And, you know, Henry Kissinger passed away in Kent, Connecticut, which isn't too far from where I am. You know, uh, and yeah, he was I mean, he was one of those people. And they, and they're they're playing this famous clip of his where that he said, my story could not have happened anywhere else in the world where mm. a kid with my background who came from Germany to escaping escaping, uh, you know, uh, Nazism, and he ends up standing beside presidents of the United States. Right. It's it, pretty extraordinary. He was born Heinz, uh, but, of course, we know him as Henry. And think about the hundred years, not only that he lived through, but that he helped shape, you know, pretty dramatically, actually. It's so funny because, you know, sometimes... X or Twitter, what it used to be called, is really a cesspool. I mean, I use it because it's a good way to get a message out and that kind of thing. But immediately after his death, some of the most horrible things were being said by people. And this this ability of people when they are sort of closeted, you know, to be able to say really awful things is shocking. And, you know, you can say what you want about Henry Kissinger, but he, he always, uh, you always knew what he was working on. And you might not have agreed with him every time, but he was a thoughtful, brilliant person that gave his life to public service. Well, I think he's credited with inventing shuttle diplomacy. Yes. This this idea of going back and forth and back and forth, he probably didn't invent it, but at least in the modern world, he's created, you know, he's credited with inventing it. He went back and forth and back and forth trying to achieve Middle East peace. I didn't realize that I really did not realize that it was he and Nixon who decided at the 11th hour to help save Israel during the 73 war by, uh, you know, by sending material and arms that I guess they desperately needed. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, the biggest criticism of him was that uh, in unleashing this fast bombing in Cambodia, tens of thousands of civilians were killed. And in the end, America lost the war. Saigon fell. And that was his biggest criticism, you know, that 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 he had to live with that decision as part of his legacy. But when when he was criticized, he would very often say that the criticism was to some extent unfair because he made the best decision that he could make at that time. 
based on the information he had. And it was interesting. I was reading that he told somebody that Ariel Sharon, the um, the Israeli leader, hated him because in the 73 war, Kissinger would not allow Israel to destroy Egypt's third army, which was in the Sinai at that point. So there may have been a lot of casualties that we have no idea were avoided because of what he did when he did, which is not to say that there weren't a lot of casualties caused by it. When you're when you're at the center of these kinds of negotiations, very often there are not good solutions. I mean, look what's happening in the Middle East right now, Martha. There aren't a lot of good solutions. No, there's not. I mean, there's it's you know, I, I get so frustrated because while I'm so happy that a hundred or so hostages have been released, it's like I'm I'm don't want to see the cheering. They they shouldn't be cheering until every hostage is released. Every hostage should be right. released now. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I mean and there are innocent casualties that are happening as a result of Israel defending itself and trying to eradicate Hamas to maybe, maybe have a semblance of hope, which I'm a little bit, frankly, skeptical and cynical about. The whole world is clamoring for a two-state solution as if, right, as if there's actually a party they're willing to concede to The whole world is clamoring for it. Israel's agreed to it every time it's been put up there. It's the one group of people that won't agree. Exactly. And they have something to say about it because they live there. Right. So there it is. Right. Well, and it, mm-hmm. to, this week at the Israeli consulate uh, or is, it's a consul general that they have. It's not a full blown consulate here, uh, but they had an Arab Israeli uh, peace discussions. Arabs and Israelis came in from different groups and had panels and discussions. And we had a few of them here on the show to talk about it. And uh, they were talking a lot about the Abraham Accords and how they don't believe the Abraham Accords are dead and how that we can, you know, that the real goal, what they see this light at the end of the tunnel is at some point in time to be able to get back on track to move towards that. And what was encouraging about it is these were Israelis and people from Arab countries, Muslims, that we're working together on this. Now, maybe it won't go anywhere, but you know what? It's what's the old song. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Um, it, if people do what they can do within their sphere of influence, you can make changes. Well, I firmly believe that the timing of this particular war is directly related to the fact that Saudi Arabia was on the cusp of joining the Abraham Accords. Yes. And Saudi Arabia and Iran hate each other. Iran is your direct connection to Hamas and Hezbollah, and they wanted to blow it up. And they did temporarily blow it up. Yes. They did. Yes. Yes, it's absolutely true. Now, yesterday in the well of the United States Senate, Chuck Schumer, who identifies himself as the highest ranking uh, yeah, Jew in government, and yeah, yeah. he made a speech, it was and... And was saying that, look, this is not a speech against Muslims. This is not a speech against groups of people. But this is a speech about the concerns that he has about the rise in anti-Semitism and what it is and what it isn't. And I thought, I w- you know what? I'm not a big fan of Chuck Schumer, but I think he did the right thing at the right time with the platform that he had. Yeah, I was. Listen, Martha, I thank you for telling me about it. It's funny because as soon as you told me about it, I started getting all these emails from everybody sending me the speech. 
<laughs> and so I, I got a chance to listen to the first 15 minutes of it. I think it was about a half hour. And um, I was very impressed. Of course, I was actually stunned by the statistic that 55% of all hate crimes, according to the FBI, are against Jews. Religious-based hate. Are, religious-based religious hate based. crimes. Yes. Yep. And we're, near, we're only, what, 2% of That's the right. U.S. population. That's right. And 0.19% of the world population. Yeah. So it's funny because in all this noise that we've had over the weekend, I had a little downtime and I came across this show on Netflix called Jewish Matchmaker. Have you seen it? No. Okay. Is so it good? It's, it's, it was very good. It was done in Tel Aviv, New York, Miami, all the, all the cities you would expect in 2021. Okay. So what was interesting about it, it was a spinoff of, they had a real successful show called Indian Matchmaker. And that's where this came okay. from. But what I loved about it, it was that it showed Tel Aviv, a lot of time they spent in Tel Aviv. And what you saw was Tel Aviv is a thriving, bustling city where people, oh, yeah are moving and shaking and getting along and and moving forward. And it was just a very, um, it was an enjoyable thing to watch. But also in, in, the, in the light of what we're going through right now, you're seeing, okay, we got this one place where people are not surviving. They're poor. There's nothing. They, they don't have jobs. And that's Gaza and West Bank. And then you've got mm-hmm. this other place where people are thriving. And even in the case of the guy that um, owns SodaStream, which is a Israeli-based company, uh, and they had a plant in the West Bank because this guy's vision is peace, and he wanted to have some place where Palestinians would have good jobs. And it was 75% Palestinian, 25% uh, Jew working in this company. And um, they wanted the, the PLO wanted him out of the West Bank. They didn't want them there because they didn't like the fact people were getting along and making money together. So they pushed them out. So I don't know how you deal with people that don't want to do better. That's that's just the hard time. The hard. Well, and you think about in 1948 when Israel began, it was all the same sand. In other words, nothing was there for any of them. So you know, you sort of have a starting line, right? Yeah. And it's all the sand, and it's no trees. And it's no animals, because in the British occupation, they hunted down all the animals. They're all, they're all gone. And there's, there's nothing. And then 75 years later, you've got cotton fields. You've got extraordinary fruit, tomatoes. You know, we can buy it on our own market from Israel. So you've got, you've got an irrigation system that goes from the north down to the south underneath Israel so that they can actually do crops in the Negev. They can literally grow crops in the desert. And and it's this little tiny spit of land that you can't even find on a map. But then on the other side, where Yarra populations have lived for many, many years, there's nothing growing. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you just have to see it with your own eyes, Martha. You just can't believe what you see. Well, and it's like North Korea, South Korea, when you look at the, right. what's lit yes. up at night and what's yes. not. But then yes. you make the point. They went underground to do an irrigation system so you could grow things. And in yes. Gaza, they've gone underground to build tunnels so you can fight people. It's yeah, it's true. such uh you know it's such a difference. But anyway, I I just find it extremely uh, frustrating. But I do think I was watching this morning, and of course they're trickling out these hostages so they can have all these extra days of ceasefire. And uh, you had last night in New York City the lighting of the Rockefeller tree, and I'm going to end at this. And I just found it ironic. That there are people that are saying uh, pro-Palestinian, anti-Jewish things 
at a Christmas tree lighting. It just, you really are getting to I your audience to there. You, I'm so glad you're ending with this, Martha, because I actually wanted to ask you about it. So I was speaking to my sister today. Today's her 60th birthday. Happy birthday, my sister, Jill Farron. Big birthday for her. I just spoke to her. And she's having a big bash. And um, I just spoke to Jill. And we were talking about this Rockefeller Center thing. And she said to me, Lisa, do you think it wins them any friends to do something like this? <laughs> and and I don't I, I don't know. I mean, are they getting more followers by disrupting the Christmas tree lighting at Rockefeller Center? Or the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Right. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all, but it's just these folks I think are delusional. I mean, they just don't Well, understand. they also really but if you read their signs, they really hate America. If you read their signs, it's not just about Jews, and it's not just about Israel. They hate America. They hate Western culture. They want to, they want to have capitalism go away. They don't like this country. They don't. Putting the talk in news talk, it's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. You can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911. We're waiting for uh, Dan Pfefferman uh, to call in. Uh, and so we are getting that together here. Uh, we look forward to talking with him. But uh, look, we've got to get people talking to each other. Because if we don't do that, um, you know, we're never going to solve these problems. I have a lot of friends of mine uh, or people that I know, young people that I know that um, uh, have been kind of, I don't want to say poisoned because I still think there's hope for them, but have been given the wrong information related to um, uh, things like Israel and Palestine and what this actually means. Uh, There was no colonizing. Uh, There was nothing that... Uh, there's no 75-year occupation. I was watching Cornell West on uh, Laura Ingram a few um, last night, and he kept talking about the 75-year occupation. Uh, that's just not true. The Jews were there. The Israelis were there from the beginning. Okay? They were driven out. Okay? If anything, they're repatriating lands that they were there. And if your definition of colonizing is is anybody who's somewhere different than they used to be? Well, then I guess we're all colonizers, okay? My family came from a different place initially. Uh, there were there could have been people before the Native Americans here in the United States. I mean, I don't know that the first people that were in North America were Native American tribes that we encountered when the white people came, the Europeans came to America. This is why we need to study history, and this is why we need to study. Wait for it. True history. True history. Because, you you know, I heard someone say words matter. You got to use the right words. But that's right. You've got to use the right words. Hostages are wrong. You should release hostages. You should never keep civilian hostages. There's there only one way to say that. Okay, I don't care who you are. I don't think we, as a people, have ever kept hostages. We've had prisoner of wars, but I don't know that we've ever kept hostages. Now, I was doing a little bit of um, um, research into the trip that I'm taking to honor my father related to uh, honor my father related to his service and being a POW. And I found 
an oral history from a guy by the name of Eddie Leonard. Now, I've only read the transcript. I have not listened to the oral part of it. I can't wait to do that. I've asked for access to be able to do that. But Eddie Leonard was one of the four guys that my dad escaped with from the prison camp they were in. They were in the prison camp together. And he tells the story of their time in the prison camp and then how they got out, what they encountered, the weeks that it took for them to reconnect with the American military, how they had to deal with Russians, how they had to deal with other people. And it's so much more detailed than the story my stories my father told me. They fit together, but they're so much more detailed. And you think about the this, what we were talking about earlier in the program related to boys. These were mostly, my father was 31, 32, but these were mostly people that were 18, 19, 20 that were having to make these decisions, that were having to do these things, especially in the case of my dad, uh, who was um, the sergeant in the group. But my dad and these three other guys who got separated from their unit, they were captured, they were missing in action, then they were captured, then they escaped. So this period of time, they didn't have a command to talk to because they weren't talking to anybody. They were just trying to get back to the American forces. And I think we need to learn all this stuff. It should be an ongoing thing, the learning that you do about the history. Because if you don't do that, you know, you're, you're going to end up with, um, you know, saying the stupid things that most of these Palestinian, so-called pro-Palestinian protesters say. I saw a woman at a city council meeting say that there were no Israelis killed on October 7th, that that was all a lie that was made up by the media. I can tell you, I've been invited three times to see that video that Marsha Blackburn talked about today. I've turned it down every time because I don't need to see it. You know what I mean? I have read some of the descriptions. I have seen some of the things, not seen it, but read the descriptions and looked at whether I wanted to put that in my brain or not. Because I have had it happen where, you know, sometimes, and this is a little bit lighter, but sometimes you get hooked on these these crime shows and they play one after another. One of the real problems with streaming one of the great things about streaming is shows come up one after another. One of the bad things about streaming is shows come up one after another. And you can end up seeing too much. And I, I watched three or four in a row of some one of these murder mysteries. And I really felt uncomfortable. And I had to stop. You know, I had to stop. Uh, and I've had that happen to my husband before, too. So I made the decision that I didn't need to see it, that firsthand accounts from people that lived it were enough for me. And I've heard people say that, um, you know, I've heard people say that it is not enough uh, to not see it, but I, I don't need to see it. I believe it, okay? I believe it. You can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911. Joining me right now is Dan Pfefferman. Um, he is from Israel. He is Sharaka's, and I hope I'm saying that right, executive director, and we welcome you to the program. Thanks so much for having me on. So tell us what Sharaka is. Sure, Sharaka, it's a nonprofit, non-governmental based uh, in Israel, and working with uh, the Arab Gulf and Morocco, 
Uh, Sharaka is an Arabic word that means partnership, and we were founded uh, by social entrepreneurs in Israel and from the Arab countries uh, and, and bringing together Israelis, uh, Jews and Muslims, Israelis and Arabs, in order to make the Abraham Accords, those uh, historic peace agreements signed uh, just three years ago between Israel and uh, four Arab countries, uh, not just diplomatic agreements uh, on paper, um, and, and at the governmental levels, but to really translate them uh, to, to the people-to-people level. And so we try to bring people together. We've been cut off from each other in the Middle East. The media uh, doesn't uh, report in the Middle East about Israel or, or humanizes Israelis or hasn't until very recently. And, uh, and so there's a lot of bias. There's a lot of uh, ignorance uh, about each other. And we set out to bridge those gaps and uh, bring people together on the, on the non-governmental level. You know, it does seem to me that um, whether you look at Gaza or you look at the West Bank, that there has been a lot of money put in over ye- years to try to help the people, the Palestinian people. And especially in Gaza, in the la- I heard a reporter say Gaza could have been Singapore. I mean, with the it could have been a, a fantastic place to go. In fact, part of the Abraham Accords, as I understood, was an economic plan that was going to help lift up uh, the whole region. But it's been thwarted. Can we get back there? Can we get back there? Yeah, Dan? I mean, you know, Israel uh, Israel left unilaterally left Gaza in 2005 in order to do exactly what you said to allow. Uh, Gazans to flourish, no settlers, no soldiers in Gaza since 2005. Um, and and, and um, the settlers who were there left all the economic infrastructure. And the idea was to really let Gaza flourish, to become a Singapore, to become a Dubai. Um, it's a wonderful location, beautiful beaches, could be a tourism hub. And it was immediately overtaken by Hamas. Billions and billions of dollars in international aid money, um, as well as smuggling money, as well as, uh, um, you know, just pilfering from, from the, the people of uh, Gaza, uh, has gone to create what is currently the greatest terror base uh, in the world. And that's exactly what it is. You know, they have, they have 300 miles of subterranean tunnels that they dug, crisscrossing all underneath Gaza in order to uh, fight against Israel, to, to commit terrorist attacks, and then hide uh, Hamas, uh, not the citizens, to hide the Hamas terrorists uh, when, when Israel uh, retaliates. Each mile of tunnel, the, the, num- the amount of money put into each mile of tunnel could have built a three-story medical clinic. And instead, they choose to focus on tunnels. They pollute their own water system by digging into the aquifers. It's a huge mess. The Abraham Accords was indeed, and I still believe it is, um, can, can and will build a better future for the region because it's bringing together all the moderate countries that want to see stability, that want to see economic prosperity, and a better life for all peoples in the region together in a formal sort of alliance, certainly diplomatic relations that we never had. And I think, I think this will uh, sharpen the, the uh, need that we all need to work together much stronger to uh, keep radicals at bay and to promote moderates and to promote uh, economic prosperity. Dan Pfefferman, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. If people want to know more about your organization so, so they can learn, how can they do that? Absolutely. We have a website, Sharaka, N-G-O, that's S-H-A-R-A-K-A-N-G-O.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, where our handle is Sharaka NGO. And uh, right now we're on a speaking tour in the United States. Uh, myself uh, represents uh, Israel, and we have friends from uh, the Gulf, we have friends from Morocco, uh, we have friends uh, uh, even from countries that don't have peace with Israel, and they're trying to build 
send a message uh, from Syria and from Lebanon and from other Arab countries, and we're going to be on a speaking tour around the United States now and in the coming months, um, and, and bringing a message to the American people that one can stand with Israel, one can stand with the people, the Palestinian people, but we should all be united against Hamas and its, its wicked, uh, barbaric extremism dragging the region into war. Uh, constantly, and um, yeah, people can check out our website and follow us online. So, tell us about uh, your involvement with Sharaka and why you're involved with Sharaka. Well, since the Abraham Accords were signed three years ago, that gave us a new hope in the Middle East. Uh, the uh, instability became what we are known for in the Middle East: it's wars, it's famine, it's instability. And the, uh, uh, the relations with Israel for over 75 years has never been stable, has never been on the right track. The Abraham Accords is giving us that opportunity to do it, and there's no better time to hop on that ride and basically lead it. So the Abraham Accords, of course, also had an economic component to it that hasn't come to fruition yet. What do you think, first of all, about that? Do you, are you hopeful that it's going to go forward again, even though you don't hear much talk from the United States about the Abraham Accords? Are you hopeful that it's going to move forward? Definitely, ma'am. Uh, this is the biggest test as a testimony for how strong the Abraham Accords are and the importance for them. Uh, they would serve us in times of war more than they would serve us in times of peace, and that's the reason behind them. Of course, today it's slowed down, but in a couple of months maximum, when the ceasefire takes more effect, takes bigger place uh, of the um, of the uh, area today, it will come in bigger effect. That's for sure, with much players into it as well. So, obviously, I ask people this question about mm. where they were on October seventh and how you believe that what's happened on October seventh and since then has impacted your work in the Middle East? Well, it definitely impacted it. I mean, I was I was home. I just woke up in the morning here in the news, getting calls from everybody. Uh, everybody thought this is the end of the accord, but again, I'm assuring it's not. Uh, it was horrific. It still is. Uh, we need to put an end to all of those atrocities. Civilians should be safe, no matter who they are, no matter where they are. And such acts of war, such acts of terrorism has to be put down by everybody. So uh, tell us about Bahrain, because Bahrain has been a huge player in the Abraham Accords, as well as some of the economic development in the Middle East. And I think that's a country that probably most of the people that are listening here don't know much about. Sure. Bahrain is an island uh, that lies uh, 45 minutes away from the uh, eastern coast of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it has a population of 1.5 million. Only 750,000 are the locals. The rest are either migrant workers, retirees, and uh, other denominations of people, which tells us a lot about Bahrain that is a friendly environment place, a welcoming place for everybody. We uh, host, we have the privilege of hosting the only indigenous Jewish community in the Gulf. We have a synagogue that's more than 150 years old that never required security. And our 
notion for trade, our notion for our space for banking, finance, and services is one of the biggest in the region. So many people believe that the interview that um, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia did several weeks before October 7th, where he indicated Saudi Arabia was close to uh, an agreement uh, with Israel, um, many people believe that while this was this attack on October 7th was planned for a long time, but the the impetus to make it as deadly as possible came from that statement, because it seems like every time we get close there's some horrible thing that happens that makes people rethink. Do you, where do you think Saudi Arabia is right now on their, um, you know, what are they saying publicly, but what are you also hearing that you can tell us? Of course. Well, Saudi Arabia, the new Saudi Arabia that we are witnessing today is not the Saudi Arabia of the past. Once they are determined to do something, they go for it. Now, the talks are still going on, and there are... Uh, very supportive of whatever the West is doing and with Israel as well. Uh, when it comes to especially the Abraham Accords and going forward with Israel, which is going forward, but it's being slowed because of the October 7th. Now, why it was that vicious? Just a simple thing. We have to trace the money, as they say. We're talking about Hamas. Hamas today is not the Hamas of 15 years ago. Hamas today is a proxy of Iran that is managed by Hezbollah in the region. Who doesn't want this to happen? Mostly it's Iran. Why? The moment you take out the Palestinian issue out of the table, Iran basically has no, no purpose to survive internationally. That's all they talk about. We, they want to free Palestine. They want to do this. They want to do that. Take Palestine out of the equation, and you don't have anything. And maybe so, this is maybe this is just me looking at this from a long way away. Is that it, mm. it looks to me like the Iranian government is is very different than the Iranian people, but that the Iranian people are afraid. Those that are um, wanting a different kind of life, a different kind of connection, they're afraid of what will happen to them if they speak up. And it, it just seems to me that Iran is ripe for uh, some changes also. That's correct. Actually, uh, the biggest changes happened when it comes to that notion. It's when, especially the United States, during the Trump administration, uh, took out Soleimani. Ever since there was a split within the Iranian regime, and it is the beginning of the end for them. When it comes to the Iranian people, they are the sweetest people you will ever meet in your life. They are full of life, they love life, and they don't like problems, even within their own communities. Uh, the Iranian regime, the Iranian government today does not represent the Iranian people, that's for sure. You know, it's funny, My, um, uh, I have an uncle that died recently that was 98 years old. I mean, he was amazing. His, his parents were uh, people that fled the Armenian genocide uh, and were originally from what they always said was Persia. They never said they were mm -hmm. from Iran. They said, we're from Persia, you know. And so we were able, in a different way, through family connections, to kind of hear these kind of stories about that part of the world. And I just feel so strongly that we need to work very hard to to keep this peace peace movement on 
track and not let current I mean we still have to fight Hamas we have to fight them we have to we have to end them but but we have got to get back on the track to peace definitely it's on us and it's on the communities that we meet on daily basis it's on our friends on our kids on our spouses it starts with a notion it starts with a well then it comes it becomes an act to hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.